Welcome to Lung Cancer Considered, the podcast of the International Association for the Study of Lung Cancer, a global organization dedicated to research and practice advances in thoracic oncology. You can find all our podcasts on SoundCloud and at IASLC.org in the newsroom. I'm your host, Dr. Stephen Lin. Hello and welcome to Lung Cancer Considered, the official podcast of the IASLC. I'm Dr. Stephen Liu, Director of Thoracic Oncology at Georgetown University. In this episode of Lung Cancer Considered, we will discuss some of the highlights from IMIG 2023, a meeting of the International Mesothelioma Interest Group, an ISLC-endorsed meeting held in late June 2023 in Lille, France. I'm joined by two mesothelioma experts involved in the meeting. First, I want to welcome Dr. Arnold Schipperel, the IMIG president and 2023 conference chair, currently professor of pulmonary and thoracic oncology at the University Hospital of Lille. Arnaud, welcome. Hello, welcome as well. Thank you. I'm also joined by Professor Jan van Mierbeek, Honorary Professor of uh, Thoracic Oncology at Antwerp University. He was a co-chair of the 2023 IMAG meeting. Jan, welcome. Thank you. Welcome. Uh, look, to start off, for those that have not attended this meeting, Arnaud, as president of IMAG, can you tell our listeners a bit about IMAG as an organization? Sure. Uh, so the IMIG uh, is uh, the International Mesothelioma Interest Group. It's a community of physicians, uh, basic researchers, scientists, and care providers, also social advocates, engaged to understand the, the better the disease, uh, immune and molecular mechanisms, proteomics, epidemiologic factors associated with metheloma, and trying to propose uh, the best management for the patient. Uh, uh, it's a society which is uh, create, which was created in uh, 1991 in Paris uh, and established starting 1995. So it's the oldest society uh, solely dedicated to the study of mesothelioma. So the main uh, mission for mesothelioma of IMIG are in research to serve an international resource to connect all investigators seeking collaboration together and to try to help them to, to improve the research by connecting them. For the treatment, we try to propose a, a forum with the, the, the IMIC conference to have all the people discussing the best improvement of the treatment and the, the, the best uh, result of the clinical trials and studies. And we do also uh, prevention and education uh, with the, the scientific and medical community, but also with patients and the public through publication, IMIC statements, and uh, we hope more collaboration in the future with the ASFC as well. Arnold, I also remember that this meeting was sort of performed in collaboration with IFCT and president of IFCT, Virginie Westel, was, was somehow involved. Can you explain a little bit about the connection between IMIG and IFCT? Sure. Uh, each time we do uh, the IMIG conference, so every two years in a different continent, we ask to have a local organizer to make connection with the, the people involved in, a, in a mesothelioma treatment and management. So in France, the main group is the French Cooperative Thoracic Intergroup, so EFCT, which was established in 1999. And it's a huge group of uh, French clinicians from uh, pulmonary physicians, medical oncologists, radiologists, thoracic surgeons involved in mesothelioma and lung cancer treatment. And uh, so that was natural for us to ask EFCT to help us to organize this meeting. And moreover, uh, EFCT was also involved in big trials in Mesotema. We could speak later, like the MAPS and the MAPS2 trials. Hmm. Uh, thank you. Jan, you were a co-chair of IMIG 2023. 
Can you tell our listeners a little bit about this meeting? We heard that it's every other year. It moves around to different continents. Who is this meeting for? What is the format? Looking at the results, it seems like a very multidisciplinary meeting. Yeah, in, indeed. So um, this meeting was uh, the 16th uh, already since 1991. And uh, it is held every three years. Now with COVID, it was postponed for one year. And as Arnaud explained, it it moves from the uh, between the different uh, the different continents. So uh, the unique selling uh, position of the IMIC meeting is, first of all, it's not too big. And so we had about uh, 300 to 500 participants, and there is a a unique mix of um, uh, plenary sessions, focused sessions, or presentations, and post sessions, and all this on a small platform. So where the interaction between the participants is encouraged and is taking place uh, continuously. So that, um, so who is um, who should attend this meeting? Well, as Arno explained, every everyone who is uh, doing research or treatment or interest patient advocacy regarding uh, asbestos and mesothelioma. So these are as well uh, not only clinicians, doctors, but also researchers, PhD fellows, postdocs, but also patients, nurses, and um, uh, other other interested parties. It was a really well-constructed agenda, uh, a really thoughtful meeting. And Arno, I noticed there were several awards presented at the meeting, both for junior and for senior investigators. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure, thank you, Stephen. So uh, every conference, we give three awards to the senior clinicians or uh, researcher. One is the IMIG Research Award, uh, who is uh, given to recognize the potential significance and impact in the field of novel mesothelioma research, either basic, translational, or clinical, that has been published or presented since the last international conference of IMIG. So this year, for example, it was given to Professor Dean Fennell from UK for this great uh, uh, input in the mesothelioma field with many publications, many clinical trials. The second uh, award is the IMIG Service Award, or uh, and it's given to the people who are providing high contribution of service to the mission of International Mesothelioma Interest Group to the mesothelioma community. And this year it was uh, given to uh, Marie Esdorfer, who was the, the past president of the mesothelioma group in the USA, the MARF group, who is uh, providing support to the research and all patient and uh, caregivers. And finally, the highest award for us is the Wagner Medal uh, on, on the name of uh, Dr. Christopher Wagner, who published in 1960s the first big paper on mesothelioma patient in the minors people in the CAP in South Africa. And uh, it's given to the people who, who had the major original contribution to the understanding of mesothelioma uh, during the last two years. So it was given this time to Professor Eddie Kindler from the uh, University of Chicago, USA. So we have also three prizes to the young investigators and uh, uh, every, two, every two years. So it's given to the people who did the, the best presentation during the, the meeting to people below 40 years old. So it's really to push the young one also uh, to be known and to, to and that, so they have also some money to help them to for further research. 
I love that initiative, and hopefully our uh, junior investigators under the age of 40 are, are circling 2025 on their calendar for the next meeting. If we talk about some of the, the highlights of the meeting, uh, our note, Arthur Frank opened the meeting with a discussion of the global mesothelioma epidemic and control strategies. And, you know, some of our listeners, especially in the U.S., may not realize that asbestos, despite its known association with mesothelioma, continues to be mined and used today. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the extent of the epidemic and, and why is this not getting as much attention as it should? Well, the big issue is because now asbestos is still extracted and used in many countries, in emerging countries and third world countries. But these people, they don't have uh, nice epidemiologic data at all, either because they don't have the money and the support to do it, or either for political reasons and economical uh, lobbying from, from industry, from asbestos industry. We have this big issue in some Asiatic countries, but not only. And so we don't have the real number of uh, cases of mesothelioma or other asbestos related disease. But we have some flavor of what could sadly happen in these countries, as we observed previously in Western countries. For example, in China, just in a few centers where we had an observation of new mesothelioma case uh, by some of the people who are connected with us. We had a real increase of mesothelioma case. And so we, we are really uh, fearing uh, a pandemic of mesothelioma in many countries still using or extracting uh, asbestos. Uh, and you have also to remember that even in countries like ours, where we now we don't use any more asbestos, there is still hidden asbestos. And uh, is there is an issue how to remove asbestos still in some buildings or in some other place uh, with a careful uh, way to do it. So sadly, mesothelioma is considered sometimes as a rare disease compared to lung cancer, of course, for example, but it's still a quite important disease uh, and it may increase its number of cases in the future it's, uh, in many countries and in particular in emerging countries and third world countries. So right. we, we, we really have to push for a, a complete and definitive asbestos use ban in the world. I couldn't agree more. And you know, I think it's very important we not forget about this disease. We continue the important work being done for mesothelioma and it's really why the IMIG meeting is so important. Jan, at IMIG 2023, our colleague, Dr. Michael Carbone, discussed BAP1, BAP1, germline mesothelioma. Can you tell us a little bit about the significance of BAP1 in someone diagnosed with mesothelioma today? Yes, so BAP1 is indeed, uh, for a couple of years, the center of interest of not only Michael Carbone, but also other medical oncologists and uh, medical geneticists. So it appears that a minority of patients diagnosed with mesothelioma have hereditary or familial familiar kind of mesothelioma, so, which is uh, carried over from one generation to the other because the, a certain mutation, the so-called BAP1 mutation, is present, which is a, a, dominant, um, a dominant mutation. So although this... Um, Kind of this uh, presentation of mesothelioma was thought to be rare, Ac according to Michael Carbone and also some other investigators, about 10 to 15% of mesothelioma cases 
could be um, carriers or could be involved by this so-called hereditary BAP1 syndrome. So these are mostly younger patients, female, um, mostly with um, epi purely epithelioid um, form of mesothelioma. And there is also a certain predominance of the peritoneal localization of um, mesothelioma. The, it is important to, um, to trace those, um, those patients because obviously there um, there are other they could have other cases in their family and their children uh, or their uh, offspring is at risk of developing mesothelioma so in those uh, patients with germline uh, mesothelioma a program of um, screening of um, surveillance in order to um, early detect possible cancers should be installed those um, Patients do not only develop mesothelioma, they can also develop other rare cancers like uveal melanoma, clear cell carcinoma of uh, the, the kidney, and other, um, uh, and other rare skin tumors. So the, 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 the bottom line is that if you have a, a younger patient, certainly if it's a female with a, a peritoneal mesothelioma, or you have a patient with a you see a patient with, for instance, a uveal melanoma or cleasal casting of the skin, you should think of a possible um, uh, hereditary or germline uh, BAP1 mutation, which can be easily detected uh, with an appropriate uh, DNA testing um, of uh, white, uh, white blood cell. So you don't have to test necessarily the tumor. The tumor will also carry, but all cells, all the cells of the uh, of the patients will carry that uh, BAP1 mutation. The backside of the whole BAP1 germline mesothelioma story is that uh, regarding liability and and and, um, and suits, certain um, uh, companies will try to avoid or will try to put the cause of the mesothelioma on that germline mutation and not on the asbestos and asbestos um, uh, exposure, which some of those patients might also have. So this is the backside of the, of the story is that um, finding a germline mutation in a patient who has had uh, asbestos exposure could, uh, could preclude him from any compensation uh, um, uh, because of this mutation. Oh, I haven't thought of that. So BAP1 testing, important to keep in mind, uh, especially with regard to, to risk of other cancers, to family screening. Uh, there was some data presented at this meeting, an encore presentation by you, Arnaud, uh, and you presented the uh, results from the phase three IND227 IFCT1901 trial. And this was first line chemotherapy alone or chemotherapy plus the PD-1 inhibitor pembrolizumab. Arnaud, could you walk us through that study and... and Tell us what you found. Sure. So these results were first shown by my friend, colleague, Quincy Shu on behalf of the Canadian group, Italian group, and the French EFCT group at ASCO. But uh, we are very happy to show them again uh, at HIMIC because we have more we had more time to discuss them and more uh, people, uh, experts in mesothelioma in the room. And so the interesting thing of this trial is that uh, that's the first large trial combining chemotherapy by standard chemotherapy for mesothelioma, so uh, pemetrexed and platinum, 
uh, as baseline treatment for unresectable patient. Uh, use either alone or in combination with anti-PD-1 pembrolizumab, so in 440 patients. So the main message, it, it, it is a positive trial because there was an improvement in the main objectives of overall survival. So it was not a huge improvement because uh, we increased the overall survival from 16.1 to 17.2 months. So, uh, but the hazard ratio was 0.71. So it's a positive one. And when you look at the survival at three years, it increased from 17% to 25%. So it's that's the first measure. The other message, uh, I think the most important thing for me was the improvement of the response rate. Of course, it does not translate always to survival. But very interestingly, with the uh, platinum and permetrexate alone, we had the usual response rate of about 38%. But adding permetrexate, it went up to 61%. So this is very interesting. And of, uh, the, the best benefit was, again, like in the nivolumab, ipilumab trial in the non-epithelioid patient, when you look at the hazard ratio, but all patient benefit of the, the combination of the treatment with a quite good tolerance. So I think even if we, that might be another question to see which uh, combination is the best for uh, each kind of patient, which is subtype of patient, we have a new potential option of treatment and we are very eagerly waiting now the next uh, trials coming with the combination of chemotherapy and immunotherapy plus or not bevacizumab for the ETOP trial in the future. So the DREAM3R and the, the ETOP trial. Clearly, immunotherapy an important tool to, to treat mesothelioma. But uh, Arnaud, if both options, if all options are available to you today, you know you mentioned uh, the Checkmate 743 study of frontline nivolumab and ipilimumab that was superior to chemotherapy. If everything were available today and you had a new newly diagnosed patient, what's your preferred first line systemic therapy in either epithelioid or sarcomatoid subtypes? Well, it's a very difficult question. I would say for non-epithelioid patients, when you see the, the huge benefit we had in the 743 trial with the combination of NIVO plus CP in non-epithelioid patients, um, I would say that it's likely my first favorite option. But in the other end, you have always the balance of toxicity versus efficacy. And you have to remember that usually patients with mesothelioma are diagnosed around at least 65 to 70 years old. So taking account the age and the, the fragility of the patient, sometimes the combination of uh, uh, the, the chemo plus pembrolizumab could be also a good option in this patient, as many of us have a great experience of this uh, combo in lung cancer patient, and we know well how to use it uh, sometimes. In epithelioid patient, it's, of course, Interesting to say, well, we will use chemotherapy with likely still the best thing in the epithelial patient, but adding pembrolizumab, we, we take no risk because all the patient will be exposed both to chemo and uh, immunotherapy. So again, there is a balance between efficacy and toxicity. And the question is what will give to the patient later if we use already everything in the same in the first line. So I will be cautious for the moment waiting for the other trials and also, we are waiting now the ancillary studies from these trials. We hope to have perhaps some biomarkers to help us to decide which patient will benefit more from chemo plus pembro versus other uh, options. I like that approach. We certainly would need guidance and, and further personalization. That's the goal. 
Uh, Jan, your thoughts on, on frontline therapy today, if you have access to everything? Well, I more or less agree with what um, Arnaud says. Uh, so uh, definitely in the non-epithelioid, uh, so the sarcomatoid subtype, I think we should stick to um, the dual immunotherapy with ipimirumab and ivolumab for the moment in view of the impressive uh, improvement in, uh, in outcome. Regarding the epithelioid, first of all, the data of the IND trial are, in my view, not so not so uh, not so impressive. So I would definitely like to wait for confirmation. And what is lacking, and which was an important issue in the checkmate trial, was the the difference in um, patient reported outcomes in quality of life, which was observed with the dual immunotherapy. So I haven't seen any quality of life data of the IND trial yet. And then a final argument to keep also to the dual immunotherapy for the epithelioid is indeed the fact that nowadays we give um, we can give the combination chemotherapy as second line treatment. So if you're going to move up chemo plus immuno as first line treatment, you won't have a second line treatment anymore for the time being. So uh, this is more pragmatically, but. Um, I, I, I would also stick to dual immunotherapy pending further data from, for instance, the DREAM trial and uh, the ETOP trial. Very good perspective. We're waiting for those results to come out. Uh, I want to talk to Arnaud about uh, Dean Fennell, one of the award winners this year, presented some data from CONFIRM, and this touches a little bit about what you were talking about. As we remember, CONFIRM is a phase three study of nivolumab versus placebo in relapsed malignant mesothelioma, and the update at IMAG 2023 was on possible determinants of efficacy, which sounded very promising. Can you discuss a little bit about the, the highlights from that work? Um, well, of course, it would be better to ask the, the first author to have more <laughs> <laughs> uh, But uh, I would say that th this is very interesting because, uh, and it's why we, we gave this uh, award to Dean, because Dean is really one of the pioneers in mesothelioma and also other uh, cancer like lung cancer of what we call the personalized uh, therapy. So it's interesting that we may perhaps better understand who had the best candidate for immunotherapy uh, in mesothelioma using um, not only PDL1, which is not a good marker in mesothelioma, in mesothelioma opposed to uh, lung cancer patient. So you have to go beyond in uh, using second string of uh, the tumor and perhaps other checkpoints, uh, which may be of interest in mesothelioma like three or uh, team three, for example. So uh, Dean discussed all these different tools. So we don't have the final answer yet, but it's very interesting it, what he did in this uh, second, second and third line uh, treatment uh, trial, because it, as we just discussed before, it will give us some uh, ideas and some uh, potential suggestion of biomarker for the first line treatment. Jan, I noticed one interesting abstract you were involved in explored exhaled breath analysis. Can you briefly explain what that is and, and how it applies to mesothelioma? Sure. Um, you and my breath, when, you, when we exhale, contain um, small amounts of what we call volatile organic compounds, so-called VOX. And uh, those VOX, if you sample them and you analyze them, you can make a signature of them. And th those signatures can be specific for a certain disease. And uh, this kind of VOX have, have already proven their 
their interest, for instance, in the diagnosis of Helicobacter pylori um, uh, infection or uh, infestation of the, the stomach cancer and stomach ulcers and, and, and also in other diseases. So this is a field of research which is quickly uh, evolving and in, in which we hope to create, um, uh, to have a signature which is quite um, sensitive and specific for mesothelioma and which can be used in asbestos exposed individuals in order to screen them for a possible development of early stage mesothelioma. Considering that the earlier the diagnosis, the better the therapeutic possibilities are. So we have now um, uh, this, uh, this VOX um, research is already in its 10th year now. And we have uh, already developed a signature, which we are now prospectively validating in a cohort of um, asbestos-exposed individuals in order to, um, to validate it and to construct what we call an ENOS, an ENOS, which is a, a portable machine, which can be used in the office, even, for instance, by uh, the GPs or by occupational physicians in order to test their uh, asbestos-exposed individuals and to see whether they have a whether they have a signature which puts them at risk of developing mesothelioma and um, uh, for, for, and selecting them for further follow-up by, for instance, CT scan. Fascinating. I mean, explored, exhaled breath analysis really as a potential inlet to screening for mesothelioma. Amazing work. Arnaud, was there anything else presented at IMEG 2023 that, that caught your attention that you want to highlight? Yes, uh, I would like to emphasize that even if usually the mesothelioma patients are quite old and you can say, well, they are too afraid to have uh, too difficult to uh, have surgery and multimodal treatment, it seems that there is still some place for multimodal treatment, including uh, uh, pleurectomy decortication, for example in particular because we have sometimes still some uh, young, quite young patients. And uh, we just discussed the combination of uh, chemotherapy plus immunotherapy. And there are some very interesting preliminary trials and data showing that we may have the same interest of uh, induction treatment in uh, pleural mesothelioma that in lung cancer, perhaps to improve the, the, the value of uh, surgery and multimodal treatment, uh, decreasing the tumor mass of the tumor uh, of the cancer before surgery. So that's one interesting thing. Another one is, as we just discussed, similarly to lung cancer and other cancer, there is a real development of uh, uh, personalized medicine with targeted therapy and specific immunotherapy. And pleural uh, uh, I would like to remind you that uh, it was uh, the first uh, uh, positive cancer for using uh, CAR T cells in solid tumors. And we had some uh, further data that showing that clearly it's a good uh, candidate for uh, cellular therapy using CAR T cells or T cells therapy and other uh, dendritic cell therapy uh, in this way. And the last thing is uh, very interestingly in pleural mesothelioma compared to uh, colon cancer or other cancer, we have a direct, direct access to the pleural space. And this is a good way to deliver local treatment, not only CAR T cells, for example, but other treatment like other immunotherapy or therapy like, for example, uh, photodynamic therapy combined with immunotherapy that shows some uh, nice trend uh, to increase the efficacy, the efficacy sorry, of uh, immunotherapy in this cancer. Finally, 
we have now some strategy to do uh, uh, oligoprog oligoprogressive disease strategy in mesothelioma like we do in lung conservation with quite good results. And we had a full session about this uh, issue. And it was very interesting to see that now we can sometimes increase the, the, the survival of the patient without altering the quality of life using this uh, new strategy in mesothelioma. Fantastic words of wisdom there. Really great insights. Jan, anything else you'd like to highlight from IMIG-23? Well, uh, we reported the first results of the uh, randomized phase two study by the, done by the ERTC. And so this also relates to the more earlier stages of mesothelioma, which could be considered for surgical resection by what we call nowadays uh, pleurectomy or extended pleurectomy decortication, so on removal of the of the, the the gross tumor volume so this type of uh, operation is always combined with um, systemic therapy uh, nowadays mostly chemotherapy so but um, for the present it is unknown whether this chemo was best given in a, a neoadjuvant uh, so induction um, way or postoperatively in a so-called adjuvant fashion. So the ERTC trial randomized between upfront chemo followed by the resection versus resection followed by adjuvant chemotherapy. So this was the, the, uh, the design of the ERTC 1205 study. So about 66 patients were randomized equally in both arms. And the first results of this um, trial showed that um, there was no no preference. So both um, both um, trials resulted in the same tolerance, absence of toxicity after 20 weeks. So uh, do not um, do not favor one arm over the other one. But once again, we are waiting for the um, time to event endpoints, uh, overall survival and progression we survive to give a final answer on the on the issue. But based on the the first um, and the first results, mature results, there is no uh, no preference to give that chemo upfront or in a post-operative session, which is an important message uh, because in some countries there are delays in the access to surgery, and um, so we can, that delay could be covered by chemotherapy. In other countries where surgery is more uh, easily accessible, the chemo could be given in an adjuvant uh, way, so after the resection. Yeah, important work, and a little different from what we see in, in lung cancer, where you know, neoadjuvant generally felt to be a little better tolerated, so really great results. We'll wait for those efficacy results. Um, you know, Congratulations to, to both of you for organizing such a, a wonderful meeting. Arnaud, when and where is the next IMIG meeting? So, Stephen, the next meeting will be uh, held in Philadelphia, USA, in uh, on October 2025. And I really hope we could host again a joint uh, EASLC IMIG session there. But I would like also to remind all the people interested in pleural mesothelioma that we have the chance to have such a joint session also uh, at the WCLC meeting. Uh, in Singapore. So I really uh, uh, told, tell the people to attend the Singapore meeting to have also some news about the mesothelioma also there. And uh, thanks again to the ESMC uh, people to uh, give us the opportunity to have this session. And we hope also to have a joint initiative for guidelines on racist criteria, 
the, the pathology and even the, the management of patients. Excellent. Thank you, Arnaud. Uh, a reminder, yes, uh, w, you know, WCLC World Conference on Lung Cancer, September 9 through 12 in Singapore. Um, certainly a lot of attention to mesothelioma. There's a lot more we could cover, uh, but we are running out of time. And so with that, I want to thank both of our guests for their generosity with time, for all the work they're doing. Jan, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you. No problem. Have a nice evening. And Arnaud, thank you for, for being our guest here today. Thanks a lot and goodbye to all. And thanks, everyone, for listening to Lung Cancer Considered, the official podcast of the IASLC. Tune in the first and third Tuesday of every month to give us a listen. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Lung Cancer Considered. You can find all our podcasts on our website, www.iaslc.org, in our newsroom or on SoundCloud. Please take a moment to rank, like, and share your favorite episodes with your colleagues.